From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. An Upstate professor who specializes in kidney transplants believes he's found a way to curb major complications after surgery. I'm talking with Dr. Ole Pankowitz. He and a team of transplant surgeons, nurse coordinators, students, and researchers from the Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine published a paper recently in the journal Clinical Transplantation. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Pankowitz. Well, thank you for having me, Amber. Good morning to you. Well, I'd like to start by having you explain what are the major complications after a kidney transplant and which ones are most common? Okay, well, there, there are several. Uh, the most common are actually infectious. So um, more of our patients will have urinary infections or other infections after transplant, but right after that is rejection. So rejection nowadays, uh, they, about five to 7% of our patients uh, experience a rejection episode after transplantation. Doesn't mean they'll lose their kidney from the rejection episode, it means they need more, more therapy to reverse that and they can maintain good kidney function. Our biggest problem is patients need to take their medicines on time and every day, and that prevents rejection. But those are the two major uh, uh, complications after transplantation. And so this, uh, the rejection threat is there despite the fact that you've made a match between, you've carefully chosen a kidney that would match with this person, right? Well, you know, because of the lack of organs, we don't really match uh, for tissue typing that much. There is a consideration for good tissue typing matches, but with the lack of organs, many of our patients are not perfectly matched. They're matched for blood type, obviously, but uh, very few of them are uh, perfect matches uh, from deceased donor uh, organs because there's just a lack of organs. All right, well, let's focus on the risk of rejection. Does every patient who gets a kidney transplant have to take anti-rejection or immunosuppressive drugs afterward? Yes. Okay. Um, currently, there is no protocol for to uh, elicit tolerance. So everyone has to take immunosuppressive drugs for as long as the kidney is working. Um, and hopefully that'll be for the rest of their lives. But the, the number and the doses go down with time. But we have to be careful because we can also lower it too low in our patients. And that's always been the conundrum. How much of the medications to give to prevent rejection, prevent uh, immune reactions to the kidney, and maintain kidney health. So how do these medications actually work? They, they suppress the body's immune system or do they work on the organ? No, they, they uh, suppress the body's immune system. So many of the medications we use are used for rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune systemic lupus um, erythematosus for other autoimmune diseases to control the immune system. We give larger amounts of the same for bone marrow transplants. So we reduce the, uh, the patient's immunity and that's why they're more susceptible to infections. And you're, so you're trying to prevent the body's immune system from fighting the organ? Correct. Correct. From recognizing it as being foreign and rejecting it. So the drug that you would give someone for a kidney transplant, is it the same drug that a person would get if they had a heart transplant, lung transplant? Yes. There are, there are standards. So the current standard of immunosuppressive medications 
are more than 85% of, of transplant programs around the country use the combination of tacrolimus and mycophenolate mofetil. Um, that combination is the most widely used combination and has been extremely successful in preventing rejection and allowing transplant uh, organs to work longer. So are those two pills that a person would take or are they intravenous? No, those are tablets. So um, the tacrolimus is a capsule and the mycophenolate is a capsule. Typically they're given twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And then along with some programs use a little bit of steroids, we do a little bit and other programs try to avoid it sort of 50-50 around the country now. Can you talk about the side effects that can be expected with someone who's taking these medications? Right. So tacrolimus uh, is our mainstay, and um, it causes uh, the side effects are one neurologic. So if the dose is too high or the levels are too high, we monitor levels very, very carefully to maintain the medications within a therapeutic range. So tacrolimus can cause neurotoxicity, mostly tremors, sometimes diarrhea, uh, and mycophenolate can cause an upset stomach and diarrhea as well. Uh, both of them will reduce your lymphocytes. Uh, well, mycophenolate will reduce your lymphocytes and maybe increase your risk for viral infections. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Ole Pankowitz. He's a professor who specializes in organ transplant, and we're talking about a formula he uses to minimize complications after a kidney transplant. Can you please describe for us how you did your study? Well, it's kind of interesting. I spent some time in another institution where they were measuring mycophenolate blood levels. So after transplantation, we monitor tacrolimus blood levels very, very carefully. And uh, we sort of know what a normal range is for that medication. And that's been accepted now for a long time. The medication's been around since the late 80s, early 90s. But mycophenolate is a very complex uh, medication. It has a uh, what's called enterohepatic circulation so that when you take the medication, it's absorbed in the stomach very quickly. And then it's processed by the liver. It's excreted as a metabolite and then it's reabsorbed. So patients, when they take the medications, there are really three peaks, there are two peaks. There's one a half an hour later and one about two hours later. So it's very complicated how to take these measurements and how to interpret them. And no one's really um, come up with a great way to do that. But I was at an institution that were doing these blood levels for about five years before I came there. And I went back and I looked at those levels and noticed that you really need to consider the mycophenolate levels and the tacrolimus levels together in order to get an idea of the total immunosuppressive burden the patient is seeing. Looking at one or the other independently really didn't give a good idea of outcomes. So I looked back at those records for a long time and came up with an, a, a formula that I thought would be very useful. And when I came here four and a half years ago, we started measuring mycophenolate levels as our standard of care. And when I looked back at those patients, they behaved very similarly to the other centers. And so we published this formula where you take the mycophenolate we, our patients would have three blood levels done, usually about two months after transplant, one before they take the medication, one a half an hour later, one two hours later, 
then you integrate those three plus the metabolite, you add them together and you multiply by the tacrolimus level and you come up with a, with a range. And if patients who stayed in that range did extremely well. Uh, patients who were out of that range either were too high and had infections or were too low and had rejections. So this range in our hands ended up being between about 600 and 1,000. And if you stayed in that level, mostly around 800, uh, you pretty much had a stable uh, post-transplant course without those two major complications. And that's what we published on the basis of 110 patients here. And now what we're doing is we're, we're now having a standard of care. We measure the levels. We alter the doses of the medication to what we think achieve an optimal level. We recheck it, and if they're in an optimal level, we just maintain that for the first year. So I think, and with that, we've had many fewer um, adverse events and many fewer rejections. So that seems to be uh, borne out, and I'm hoping that this becomes standard of care, you know, in other transplant centers to see if what we see is truly the same as their experience would be in other centers. So if I understand you correctly, there's the, the formula, uh, an individual patient may be taking one amount and a different patient may end up taking a different amount based on the readings from their blood tests, right? Correct. And it's very difficult to predict the mycophenolate blood levels. That medication is extremely complex and someone may be taking what you think is a therapeutic dose and they don't absorb very much of it. Another patient may be taking a very small dose, but they absorb much more of that medication, are exposed to that medication at higher blood levels. So really, when you think about it, also, there's a difference in metabolism of drugs between um, African-Americans and Caucasians. And so uh, you have, you know, it's very tricky to know how much a person is actually being exposed to. So, so what we did was we, we measured their exposure, see exactly how much of that medication is in their system. So it, uh, it takes into account all the genetic differences in terms of drug metabolism between people. Um, yeah, so it turned out to be quite interesting. So if an individual's exposure was low, you could adjust and give them more? Correct. But the trick with mycophenolate is that if you change the dose, the second level is unpredictable. It's not a one-to-one. So someone's taking 500 twice a day, and you go to 1,000, their blood levels don't double. You really don't know what their second blood level is. So that's why we have to measure the levels again a month or two later to see where we are. It's really unpredictable. But if they're on the same dose for a long time, it seems as though their exposure stays very constant. I was going to ask that too. Over time, over years, might it change as a person's body changes? Well, that's very interesting. We've done repeat levels on people who've been on the same dose for a year, two, three years, and it turns out it's almost identical. Uh, so, yes, the, the drug exposure remains pretty constant, and that's a good thing with this medication. The bad thing is when you change the dose, you really don't know what the exposure is. Well, now that you have this formula, how do you get the word out to transplant surgeons everywhere else? Well, uh, two ways. Well, we published it in a peer-reviewed journal, so I'm hoping people read it in a transplant journal, one that's circulated widely. Uh, we've presented this work uh, at, conference, at national conferences for the last two years at the American Society of 
uh, transplantation uh, conferences. And also at a Minnesota, there was a small conference of transplant specialists. So we've presented this work on national stages uh, for the last couple of years, and now it's published in, um, in a peer reviewed journal. I'm hoping that it catches on. Well, from the patient's point of view, what does this new knowledge mean? Does it change the way they receive care? Are they going to need more blood work than they did before? Or is there anything concrete that changes for the patient? Well, for the patient, it would mean um, an additional two blood, blood um, phlebotomies. So when we do the mycophenolate, it's three samples rather than just one. And it's a two-hour time limit. So for most patients early on, they come to the clinic, and by the time they have their blood work done, and by the time they have other labs done, and they see the physician, two hours almost goes by. So it's really that not that much of an imposition for them. Um, the second one, maybe a little bit more because their visits are, are quicker. But what it does mean is that the risk for rejection or toxicity from the drugs goes down. So instead of having diarrhea, neurological events, infections, the risk of those go down and they'll have a much more, I'm hoping, uh, much more uh, stable course. And so far it's been work, it's working out that they, that people are more stable with, with measuring their levels. Yeah. Sometimes they need much less than what they're on. Uh, so they, you know, they, they have fewer side effects. So you expect that this will impact some of the side effects that come from taking the anti-rejection medicines? Correct. So the whole purpose of this is to get an ideal exposure to these drugs for each individual patient. So some patients may need more or less of one drug depending on their clinical situation. So you can, you can vary the doses of either one as long as it stays within that therapeutic window. Interesting. Well, I understand you're getting near retirement. Looking back on a career in organ transplant, what are the advances in the field of which you are most proud? And I recall when, when I started in the field of transplantation, we had our first national meeting, and it was held in Chicago in a single ballroom. And there were maybe about three, 400 people in that ballroom at the most, at the most. And now they're held in convention centers with thousands and thousands of transplant specialists. And I've seen the program of transplantation itself go through a period where rejection rates were 60, 50% in the mid eighties to something like 10% after the um, discovery of bacrolimus and cyclosporin, which made a tremendous difference and acceptance of organ transplant. Now it's the it's the therapy of choice for people who have chronic kidney disease. And I've just seen the, the field get better, the immunology, the, the knowledge of the immune system has exploded uh, in transplantation along with uh, bone marrow transplantation. And it's just an exciting field to be in and see all that develop over the last, looks like, you know, 30, 30 years or longer. Uh, so it's been, it's been a lot of a um, lot of excitement in the field. I'm very proud of of what's happened in transplantation. Well, it sounds like some major improvements, and it sounds like your formula is a major improvement. So, congratulations on that. I hope so. I hope that it helps patients, um, and I hope it catches on. Thank you very much. Thank you to Dr. Ole Pankowitz, a professor specializing in organ transplant at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show. HealthLink on air.